Greetings, fair ghouls and friendly ghosts. Welcome to Give Me Goosebumps. Hosted by your fellow specters as they rediscover and relive the terrors of childhood. But, listeners beware. Actually, <laughs> you know the drill. Hi, I'm May, your animal companion, voiced by a BAFTA-winning actor? <laughs> and I'm Nova, the imaginary friend you blocked on all social media. What did I do? <laughs> this week on Give Me Goosebumps, we are reviewing two essential horror decoms from 1999, Can of Worms, and the beloved Don't Look Under the Bed. Um, there are a bunch of horror decoms, so we're kind of splitting them up. We're going to do two from 1999, two from 2000, and then, of course, Halloween Town. But that'll get its own whole special. As well as our under wraps. Our beautiful under wraps wraps special. double feature eventually as well. But for the time being, let's just uh, open this can of worms. <laughs> okay. Uh, can of Worms is a decom from, as we mentioned, 1999 that is also based on a book that we have absolutely no knowledge about. Uh, it follows the awkward and at times unlikable Mike Pillsbury. Uh, after an awful school dance, the distraught Mike hastily makes a call to the aliens to come pick him up. He's not meant for this earth. Uh, unfortunately for him, though, they answer. I love the aliens in this movie. Um, we love some practical effects. We love they upstage the humans by far. That's um, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> But we can talk more about them in a little bit. First of all, music by Mark Mothersbaugh. We love to see him. We love to hear him. He always brings, like, I feel like a fun atmosphere to movies. So perfect choice. Yeah, uh, Mothersbaugh stuff's very lighthearted. And I think it really pairs well with, like, children's horror. Because it keeps everything kind of airy and, like, not so scary that you're, like, gonna piss your pants because an <laughs> alien popped out of, like, a toilet portal. Yeah, and I was looking up a little bit of reviews for this movie, and it came out, like, okay in the 90s. But it is, you know, memorable for people, at least for the visuals, maybe not for the story, but people do, yeah. you know, people who grew up um, and were kids in the late 90s remember the aliens and are, you know, spooked by them. And they are yeah. pretty grotesque, pretty scary for kids' media. Uh, I mean, again, they really upstage everything because we're like, oh, yeah, you remember the aliens. And that's because the plot of the movie is very generic. I didn't mm -hmm. even touch on the fact that uh, Mike is going through the tale as old as time for Disney. And that is his dad wants him to sport, but he want a science. He loves to code. It like starts off with like floppy disk coding battles between him and a bully at school he's also a magician he is a nerd through and through <laughs> and the whole movie the dad's like but son you gotta be in football like i was in football and then you know you just hope that it's going to be one of those things where he saves the day with his his coding powers his nerd stuff and then not do sports but no not in can of worms <laughs> yes very anticlimactic it ends with him being like and you know what? Maybe I do belong on a sports team. So dumb. Unrealistic. I'm sorry. Yeah, it was so dumb. It took like a weird like 
like American patriotism turn at the very end because it was like, no, I got to stay with the humans on planet Earth and in America and stand up for America and join football. He never liked football. Like he was bad at it. He gets hurt in the very beginning. Yeah. He's like, you know what, dad, football's not for me. I'm not good at it. I don't like doing it. And then he has a prophecy of aliens when he's hurt, which is just like so uneventful that you just gloss over it. And um, I mean, you got a generic, generic little love interest. Yeah, no, her name is Caitlin Sandman and she's a popular girl at school and he's a nerd. So he's surprised when she asks him for help decorating for a dance, but because he's like, good at computers and stuff and they want to do something fresh and fun so he like codes a little thing for the dance yeah he codes a bunch of animatronics and like a bunch of very very fun visual stuff but uh he's sabotaged by the bully and my notes say uh this is his carry because it was his carry (laughs) i did write that down too (laughs) everyone laughed at him and he was so upset um that was well wasn't it like it was doing really, really well, and then it does that, like, POV shot of, yeah. like, the bullies t- sabotaging him, and then it's his carry, yeah. Yeah, 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 Literally. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and then he that's when he runs home, and it goes back to the exact same shots at the beginning, um, where he Very is Very confusing choice. Weird that they started with that, and then, like, they didn't even tell, like, there was no visual cue to be like, and now we're going back in time, and we'll come back to that later. It just was middle of the night and then it was like him waking up at breakfast or whatever right like yeah so we were like okay is this back to back weird that we just got right into the action um but yeah the first alien that shows up he opens this portal by calling out to space um and my my favorite thing though is that they talk about planet earth like oh this is like a a third world planet like earth is too primitive to speak to other people in the universe which is like other alien cultures are so far ahead of us and they can't they don't want to uh interact with us yet because we're just too primitive (laughs) and so he sends out this message into space that accidentally works and so suddenly he's basically telling the universe like the earth is ready it's caught up enough with technology to speak to aliens and be a part of the universe uh and so barnabas voiced by malcolm mcdowell who knows how they got (laughs) him to do this Anyway, I'm glad he did it. I loved him as Barnabas. I think he is an iconic voice. Um, Barnabas shows up and he's like, you got to come with me. You got to leave the planet. Like, we got to, you opened a door that you shouldn't have opened. And he's, you know, the first alien to talk to him and the only one who seems to actually want to help him. That's followed by um, the Bohm, right? Bohm, not bomb, the Bohm. But yeah, boom. Yeah, and he was really gross and gooey and slimy. Ugly little slimy guy. Yeah, and I, I wrote down a practical effects mouth me- necklace. Um, he, he really, he was like the first like real puppet puppet that we saw and he is so gross. And I think he gets sucked back into a pipe when he's done. He has real teeth and he uh, eats, <laughs> eats some corn and he wants to help Mike sue. Oh, that's right. He's the lawyer. He's the the lawyer. agent is later. He's the lawyer who wants him to sue Earth. 
It's it's just the, the movie has almost no plot past the the prom part. It's just basically alien after alien um, trying to talk him into coming with them for whatever various reasons. So one's a lawyer, one's an agent, um, one is just simply a hot girl voiced by Tara Strong who's like, I love you, Mike. Come into space with me. She's just like, let's go vibe, go on adventures. The first half of it is pretty strong, pretty cute. Like, everything's really good. And then the end of the movie is just so black, you know? Yeah. And I did find out a little bit why when I was looking looking into um, the production for this. Uh, Kathy Mackle is the writer for this film. She wrote the first script. After her first rewrite, Disney decided that they were not impressed with her script. They replaced her with a new writer who did three rewrites. Disney decided that they were not impressed with that writer or their script, rehired Kathy Mackle, even though very few of her suggestions were used for the script. And then she subsequently contested for sole screenwriting credit, which is how she got it. And she won through the Writers Guild. So I think that she had a really strong idea, could not figure out a good ending. They tried like four more times to figure out different endings. And then they just went with something that would please people, which is... All-American patriotism. He decides he does actually like sports. The end. Even though it doesn't make any sense for the movie. <laughs> we're, we're, we're glazing over the fact that he pulls a big white savior and also frees a bunch of alien uh, exhibits. They are in a zoo and he comes in and he frees all of them. And then he goes into that, I gotta stay here in my country and play some <laughs> football. Saving grace of the movie. Puppets. Puppets, yeah. Only puppets. I li- I really liked their little personal CGI portals. Oh, yeah. Each guy had their own. So Barnabas the dog had a doghouse. And uh, that, that first scummy lawyer had a pipe. Yeah, he called that his Stargate. The agent comes through a TV. Clamshells uh, Tara Strong's just, she just girl alien. She's just cute. She's a girl alien. Whatever. <laughs> that, that's the thing. She pink. She cute. She wants she wants to maybe romance him across the stars i don't know she should have been in it more i really feel like the only thing that wasn't fully explained in this movie at least like i mean obviously it's a sci-fi but mike was like telling stories to kids at the beginning of the movie and then they ended up being real but there was like no explanation on like how he knew these things or like if he made them up and they became real based on what he said or if they were always out there and he somehow knew they just were like yeah they're crazy yeah all over the place all over the place and ultimately for what for what puppets i've been watching for the puppets absolutely again these children really graded on me mike feels like um he would fall for the pewdiepie pipeline and uh mm-hmm. like just be vibing on youtube and watching you know pewdiepie be a misogynist and the next thing you know he's made a pipe bomb and he's gonna get those bullies back you know like a few wrong turns and he's in jail that's the kind of vibe i get from mike for most of the movie so it's a little harder for me to not just want him off earth completely i'm like you know what go go to space learn to be a better person come back it's not worth it to just stay here for a family that's gonna force you to play football Mm-hmm. And a girl you're not going to be with after high school, like yeah, come on, man. That's my that's my that's my hot take on this movie from you know, couple, like a 
couple decades ago. <laughs> Love it. Bad ending. Bad Flop. ending. Fun, fun to look at. Terrible ending. Um, I don't know what we expect from the decom. <laughs> honestly, it is what it is. I would rewatch it again uh, just because it was fun to look at. So that's my review. Fun to look at. <laughs> I'm playing on my phone this time, and I'm looking up only when I hear the portal. <laughs> that's the real experience. Here, I can give you a real brief rundown of the two main people if you want. Yeah, I was gonna say, do we have a? Where are they now? A little bit. Um, so the main boy uh, is Michael Shulman, and he's been like in a couple of things. Like the last thing he did was 2017. He uh, voiced King Freddy and the Hustler Kid and or Francis the Hustler Kid in Recess, like all the recesses. He actually apparently started in theater at age eight and was in like Broadway, Les Miserables. And then like after he did his... His, like, little Broadway career as a very young child, he changed to TV in, like, the early 90s. So that's wild. He has a production company. He won a 2019 Tony Award for Best Play for the Ferryman. So that's really cool. He found his, he, he found his calling as a child and tried TV and film because that was, like, the zeitgeist. And then he went back to uh, stage. So that's cool. And you, we, it's, I think it's a, not to, you know, profile or anything, but I think it's safe to assume... This guy didn't turn out rotten because he stayed in like theater theater. Like I feel like this is this isn't a Republican. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. He doesn't have he doesn't have his Facebook connected to his IMDB page, so I Well, at least he's smart. <laughs> one of the other boys, the one who plays his best friend, um, is played by Adam Wiley. He was in Under Wraps, so we'll see him again. And he was in, he's in Under Wraps 2, which says it's in post-production, but I thought it was already out. Oh, a sequel to Under Wraps? Not the reboot? I guess there may- I don't- I thought that when they said Under Wraps 2, they meant the, uh, the reboot, but I guess there's going to be a sequel to the reboot, so- Oh, I'm gonna- fight someone you know how it is with disney gotta make that shmoney uh he also uh voiced someone in winx club he does a lot of voices it seems and it looks like he's been in like one episode of a lot of things it's interesting because it seems like a lot of these actors have done one episode of veronica mars (laughs) (laughs) yeah i saw that because it carries over into the next one we talk about too (laughs) exactly so our next film of the day Don't Don't Look look Under under the Bed. bed. Uh, Don't Look Under the Bed, I think, was the first Disney TV movie to get a PG rating instead of a G. So, ooh, ookie, spooky. Yep. It follows Frances, who fancies herself as mature. But following a string of odd pranks, Frances teams up with the mysterious Larry Houdini and his magical boogie book to prove her innocence and face the boogeyman beautiful and it's a good time it's a really good time and uh the first thing that i wrote down as a note was just ty hodges is literally so cool in this movie oh yeah every time that larry houdini shows up he's just dripping with style sometimes he's themed like he shows up as a cowboy he's always got little cool sunglasses on uh very mysterious like what's this dude doing 
Ugh. Yeah, I love that little, like, head movement where he, like, pulls down his sunglasses. Like, that's, like, the gif that was, like, in all the commercials and stuff, I think. I love it, though. It's really fun. Um, Yeah, so Disney Channel reported lots of complaints from parents that this film was too dark, too scary for a younger demographic. It's aired extremely rarely, but it is available digitally. They stopped airing it after 2006. Yeah. Which is crazy because I, I think that even between um, 1999 and 2006, it probably was not like on, it wasn't aired aside from like Halloween anyway. And then 2006 was the point oh, where yeah. they just said, no, we're taking it off air. So now it's on Disney Plus. I imagine they would be like a one and done for Halloween instead right? of like yeah. every day for Halloween Town. Yeah, it was the same sort of thing for Can of Worms too, where Can of Worms was. Mm-hmm. Like I do, I get it, but also they as we've kind of split it up, they didn't have a whole lot of Halloween movies like we think they did. Like, they had Twitches. Like, they have all the Halloween towns or whatever. All these things were, like, over time. At the time, like, yeah. it was just this. <laughs> so what did they do when they yanked it out before they had all that other stuff? Were they just showing the Raven episode? Um, They played Halloween Town over and over and over. See, I thought they were playing the episode where Raven and her friend turn into cows from that song. Oh my Raven. god. That's where that was on all the yeah, time. Yeah, that was. I can I can see that <laughs> that cow makeup in my head. Oh yeah, me too. And her her like her like eating hay or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so to uh roll it back in to don't look under the bed, uh Francis is having, like, weird visions. They're brand new to the neighborhood, but, like, immediately after they move here, all the clocks get set back, like, dogs are on top of roofs, all these weird things are happening. Eggs are dropping into pools. Um, everyone's locker at school has a B written on it, except for hers where the B is on the inside, so she's obviously being targeted, and because she's new, everyone's blaming her. They think she's doing all of these new things to the town, even though- how in the world would a 14-year-old go into every single person's house and change their alarm clocks? Like, how can you blame any of this on one human child? Well, the poor thing is so sciencey and smart that she, you know, does her survey of her fellow classmates to see if anybody else had the strange phenomena and the teacher's like, ah, wait a second, this is obviously planning it. This is the proof you've planned the whole thing. Yeah. At least for the clock thing. Yeah. The whole movie is sort of about how the family had to grow up really fast because they were like dealing with uh, like a really serious life thing, which, you know, one of on one hand, I was like, did we need a cancer subplot? But it does sort of fuel this like feeling of needing to grow up and deal reality. Yeah. And it is I found it more. um, I didn't think it was done like tastelessly. So it wasn't really in your face or nasty about it. It was done very, um, very kindly. And I think it was, um, it probably helped some kids that also maybe had to go through that and go through that growing up. Oh, yeah. And it it dealt with her complicated feelings, too, about how she was scared because she couldn't do anything to help her brother, but she was relieved that she didn't have to go undergo surgery to help him. And that, you know, 
Because it was the other helps. brother. There was another brother in this country. Yeah, that the older brother was able to donate his bone marrow because she wasn't a perfect match. So the whole movie is a little bit about how she still feels guilty that she she didn't do anything to help her brother, but also that she was relieved she didn't have to undergo surgery. Yeah. And um, I mean, she inadvertently causes both the A and B plot when she does do her little growing up. Because uh, she speedruns her childhood and uh, discards an imaginary friend and encourages her brother to do the same. Larry shows up with his boogie book uh, because Guy in head told him to. Larry and Fran eventually notice that Larry begins to exhibit some weird symptoms. Very boogie-esque symptoms. Like his nails growing long and sometimes he gets funky looking eyes. Mm-hmm. And then when he goes over to hang out with Fran, um, Darwin walks into the room and he doesn't recognize him anymore. And then that's when he realizes that he's starting to turn into a boogeyman because his humans stopped believing in him too early. So we find out the lore of all boogeymen are ex-imaginary friends who were given up. They didn't get to be full-time imaginary friends until it was no longer necessary. They were pushed away early. Yes. So that leads us to wonder, who is the boogeyman that's hacking these guys? And why are they framing Francis? Oh my god, could it be her own imaginary friend she gave up too early? Yes. Zoe is the bitch in question and she is... She's basically like a Kit Kittredge girl, like a, like a doll, but real. <laughs> yes, very much a, an American girl doll, but also she's British and um, once Fran believes in her again and apologizes, she turns into her very cute self and Fran gets to reconnect with her for a bit. Um, and... Because the brother was overhearing all of this uh, and sees all of this, he also believes in Larry again, allowing Larry to avoid the fate of Boogeyman. And then they just take this turn where they all leave and they're like, well, Fran, I'm glad you believe in us again. You gotta stop. It's time to grow up. Yeah, it's time to grow up. And she's like, what? But I believe in you again. Um, And they're like, well, you don't need us anymore. Just because you know that we're real doesn't mean that you need us. We only exist until you stop needing us. Um, And then they kiss, which I think is is interesting because it's just totally unnecessary. I mean... It comes out of nowhere. They had, they didn't have like any like no romantic chemistry. It's just like they were they were close. They trusted each other, but like yeah, I mean, anytime that they were bickering, it just was like it was left brain, right brain. It's just like she's very logical, analytical, and he is an imaginary friend. So his whole thing is creative energy, and so they're left he's, brain, right he's brain. He's there to quit. But I, I mean, I did like all the different dynamics of the characters. I thought that they were all really cute. Um, I wish we'd gotten a little bit more of Zoe, but I understand why not. I, I wouldn't have minded her in there just a little longer either. Um, in the original script, they they uh, attached the temptrifuge, and it solves the problem, and the boogeyman goes away. But the writer and director wanted to reference like the lesson of in Dumbo, where the hero cannot be something outside of herself. Heroism has to come from within. And so that's why they rewrote it 
to being Francis not being afraid of the boogeyman anymore and figuring out it's Zoe. So it becomes like a story of love. Which is so refreshing. Very, very sweet. It's very Disney, but like, I love it. Leaves a good taste in your mouth. I like it better than just beating her up. So it's just nice, kind of refreshing. I love when love can, you know, actually do something. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad that Ty Hodges got this role too. Oh yeah, again. He ate it. He looked great doing everything. Mm-hmm. He wasn't, uh, the, the character uh, of Larry Houdini wasn't necessarily written to be portrayed by a, a black boy. It, they just ha- did an open casting and they loved him. And then that's when they were like, well, what are we going to do about the kiss at the end? Disney Channel had concerns about the Southern affiliates being unhappy with an interracial kiss. Yes, uh, just to remind everyone. One more time. These movies are from 1999. Um, But our director, Kenneth Johnson, decided that he was going to keep the kiss in no matter what. And Disney allowed it. And so we got, uh, I don't know if it was necessarily the first interracial kiss on Disney TV, but perhaps. Exciting if so. I'm glad that they fought to keep it. I don't know how much they had to fight, but I'm glad they did. Did it make sense? No, but I'm glad that we're on the right side of history about that. Oh, yeah. Oh, there is a really fun um, joke about things getting stuck in your head. And he says it's like like Barry Manilow. And I had to explain. So I'm going to just throw it out here, too, in case anybody's inspired to go watch it. And they weren't vibing in the 70s. Barry Manilow, in addition to being um, the Mandy singer, uh, <laughs> he uh, wrote a bunch of jingles, including uh, Band-Aids and uh, the Burger King one. And I believe he also did the Oscar Mayer one. This is so funny, yeah, because I didn't know that and you yeah. had to tell me that because I had no idea that that was like a thing. <laughs> I've always liked jingles, but that's your little um, lesson from Nova for this episode. Wahoo! You're welcome. <laughs> uh, so I'll talk about uh, who made this film really quick. It was directed by Kenneth Johnson, who I don't know if we necessarily know him from a lot of directing. He does. He's done like some other TV stuff. He did Z- the first Xenon movie for Disney. He did um, a bunch of something called Alien Nation, uh, Short Circuit 2, um and then he also wrote for some more classic horror stuff or at least you know dracula of the 70s so he wrote for a series called the curse of dracula he did the bionic woman so he did some sci-fi and something called the secret oh, of dude. bigfoot 1980 v? yeah and he did v well he wrote two episodes i don't know how much he directed so he is uh, That's pretty well established. This is a little bit outside of his usual taste of work, it seems. But I'm really glad that he did a couple of things for Disney just to do some sci-fi and some horror for us. Thank you, Kenneth. Thank you, Kenneth. And it was written by Mark Edward Edens, who if you click on his IMDb, he has been writing cartoons for like, like he was he's been writing cartoons since the early 80s. So uh, I think there was like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the X-Men animated series, um, amongst oh, like banger, like anything else. He's been he wrote a lot of like kids stuff. So I think that that was a really a really great union between someone who has written for horror and someone who's written for kids and the way that they put those together. 
I think I'm going to say this name wrong, but the composer for this is Daniel. It's either Light or it's L-I-C-H-T. He has composed for a lot of horror. Um, and I thought the music in this was really great. He's done Children of the Corn sequels, Hellraiser sequels, and then he did a lot of stuff for horror games. So he did some music for Silent Hell. He did um, the Dishonored music, and then he did uh, the music for Dexter, the TV series. So he he's done a, a lot of spooky horror stuff as well, and it, it really lent itself, which I think is another reason why this movie was so scary is we got all these people professionally making horror for kids. <laughs> yeah. They really pulled it out. Uh, uh, no softs when they were uh, like, this is going to be one of our very first Halloween movies. Under Wraps did pretty good last year. Let's top ourselves. Yeah, Halloween did <laughs> good last year. <laughs> so uh, the movie was almost scarier too. Uh, the concept drawings for the Boogeyman were apparently like much spookier, dark and crow-like, more quills sticking out. And then the director said he didn't want him to be too scary. Let's make him more Victorian, have him speak in rhymed couplets, <laughs> um, which I don't know if it necessarily made him more lighthearted, though. <laughs> He's ripping the leprechaun off. How could I forget? He ha- shares a lot of lines with uh, Warp Davis's Leprechaun. Uh-huh. Just so everyone knows. I'm sure there's only so many things you can rhyme. Um, And I think the last thing I have uh, for trivia is that Ty Hodges is also well known for being another Larry in Even Stevens. <laughs> yeah. I was wondering, I was like, I wonder if Ty Hodges has done a lot else. And he is still actively writing, directing, acting. I think he has his own company. Yeah, he just made a movie uh, that now I'm going to look up because it's on Hulu called Venus as a Boy. Estelle is in it. So it seems like he's still doing really well for himself. He's doing his own thing. And I'm super proud because absolutely out of all the children actors we just watched for these movies today oh he's great he's the only one that i would want to give like a full vp academy award um versus erin chambers uh is mostly known for like tv stuff she did like a hundred episodes of general hospital and her imdb says that she is a mormon (laughs) (laughs) um oh wait one more, and this one's for the gamers out there. Steve Valentine, who plays the Boogeyman, voiced Alistair in Dragon Age. You're all welcome. Go watch him do his little silly Victorian outfit and uh, just imagine He's that. a magician. He's a magician. With a name like Steve Valentine, I feel like legally you have to be. Oh, and while she only appeared for a second, I did learn that... Um... Rachel Kimsey, who was uh, the imaginary, uh, Francis's imaginary friend, uh, she also did some soap operas, but she is the voice actress for Wonder Woman in a few things. And I thought that was really cool. Fran's dad uh, is Stephen Toblowski, who's in everything. He's in every damn thing. Oh, God. Yeah, he's in everything. I mean, I guess most notably is the Goldbergs right now, but he's in everything. (laughs) You look at him and you go, oh, that motherfucker. He's in everything. I really liked this movie, though, and I really liked that the end credits were Boogie Wonderland because there's really no other way you could end this. (laughs) I do think it's very funny that at the very end of the movie, the last scene is Darwin is scared. So there's he Francis lets him sleep in the bed with him. And then for some reason, uh, Larry and Zoe are just sitting 
like in their pillows next to them just watching them sleep yeah all smiling like do you do boogie and i guess they're not boogies but do imaginary friends not need to sleep too like yeah can you go can you go play on the computer and not watch me all night so are you guys just gonna watch us forever are you gonna go find other kids to be imaginary friends for like how does that work i i would simply and i know it probably wouldn't work but i would literally just be like hey drop dead fred why don't you play Sega for me while I go to bed? I'm stuck on this level. Thank you. <laughs> oh, wait, I have one more. I wrote down my favorite line. I wrote down my favorite line from Don't Look Under the Bed, which was actually by their older oh, brother, Bert, who is in almost none of the movie. Um, There's a part where I think he's like with the family and he, he says, I'm going to go to my room environment. <laughs> and he leaves. <laughs> I don't have anything specific, but... I-, I made little notes, and I'm like, hey, they ride a Hot Wheel around and some other stuff. I know my brother would have thought that was dope when I was little. Uh, Darwin is held hostage in a sock. Uh, yucky, oh, that's wucky. right. It smells like dirty socks in here, buddy. You're in one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. I guess one last note I found in mine is, like, Larry says something about driving, and I had to stop and ask myself if they added that in after they cast Ty or not. Either way, I don't mm-hmm. understand why it was there, and I did not like it. Um, good movies besides. Yeah. Oh, and the set design for the Boogie Underworld was very, very cute. Like, giant... Uh, we really, like, it was, really it was touched just, on that. I know! It's because... I'm sorry, I'm sorry, listeners. We watched these two movies three weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> Our scheduling's been a mess. <laughs> We got ahead of ourselves in all of our watches, and then we did not record them all close to watching them. So, sorry if we missed some important bits. Feel free to email us. (laughs) Yeah, you know what? Fight us. Meet us at the 7-Eleven parking lot. Meet us under the bed in the boogie world next to the giant rollerblade for an ass-kicking. It can be our (laughs) ass-kicking. And you just beat us up because we forgot important things about movies from your childhood, but somehow managed to do, like, an hour on The Simpsons. (laughs) Uh, So if you want to email at us or at us on Twitter, on Twitter we're GMGBpodcasts, you can email us at GMGBpodcasts at gmail.com. Send Franz a little letter. Say hi. Yeah, Franz is trying to save up for a house, and he keeps forgetting he has to budget for furniture, so if anybody has any miniatures they want to part with, he he's going for a Victorian aesthetic. <laughs> That's it from um, 1999. Next time, uh, the year 2000. Because it will catch you in the new millennium. Till next time, stay strange. And we'll see you on the other side.